Welcome into episode 67 of Cowboys Ride for Free, the podcast. My name is Joel Penfield, and back after a week hiatus is Philip Slavin, uh, host of the 1012 podcast. And my, uh, after a little bit of a uh, break, how are you doing? Uh, it was a good weekend in Phoenix. That's why I was uh, gone for the last two episodes. Uh, spent some time in the, with the wife before a nice three-day weekend with some friends. Uh, so it was a good time. I'm feeling... Uh, I wouldn't say rejuvenated, uh, fully recovered from the weekend would be a little bit more appropriate. Yeah. And by the way, happy birthday as well. We're recording on Wednesday. So it's uh, it's Phillip's birthday. So I figured I'll give you a shout out real quick. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right. So since you weren't able to talk about Texas tech, uh, unfortunately on the podcast on, uh, Sunday, uh, briefly give me, give me some of your thoughts. I know you've written a couple pieces and talked about it a little bit, but let's get it on the airwaves. What, what are some uh, final thoughts you have from the awful game that occurred on Saturday? I mean, other than it was one of the worst, worst games I've ever watched from OSU, and I watched every game in 2014. Um, here's the deal. Taylor Cornelius is not great. He has major limitations, and I, he took a big step back in that game. But if you're saying that it's completely Taylor Cornelius's fault, then you're going with confirmation bias because you were waiting to see him fail. He did and decided he's the worst thing ever. I still don't think he's that bad. Um, I don't think he's that great. He's a he's a backup quarterback. But if you watch that game, that game plan was awful. The coaching was... If you're an anti-Yersich person, you need to take that game and just march around with it. That is your bulletin board material until he is gone is that game. I like Yursich. He does a good job. He runs a good offense. He did not in that game. Neither did the defense. The game plan completely for that entire game was bad. I never thought I'd be able to say this, but Mike Gundy got outcoached by Cliff Kingsbury, which is not something we should ever say, ever. No, that that hurt a lot, and that's exactly what I said about middle of the third quarter. I said, we're getting outcoached by a guy that's probably going to lose his job. Uh, Well, he would have till he won this game, and... Now yeah. he can win seven games, go to a bowl game, and survive another year. Plus, yeah. he's found Alan Bowman is a revelation. I, I don't know how he's Kingsbury does it, but he finds these kids. I don't know even how much he coaches them up. But with what Patrick Mahomes is doing in the NFL and what Baker did at OU and is doing and what Alan Bowman is doing to start his career at Texas Tech, like Cliff Kingsbury can find himself some quarterbacks. Oh, no doubt. I, no. I still think he's a better offensive coordinator than he is a head coach, but he, when it comes to quarterbacks, Cliff knows what he's doing. Oh, I mean, no doubt. That man yeah. is, uh, they, they call him Kingmaker for a reason. Yeah. So, wrapping up, I just, I'm of the opinion that Boise State is this team's high uh, and ceiling, and that Texas Tech is their floor. Now, they won't see a lot of other teams that play the same way that Texas Tech does. I, I would get very, very concerned when we get to West Virginia. That That is no longer an auto win like I thought it was going to be. Uh, but luckily, they uh, they get to rebound with a Kansas team who is who we thought they were at the beginning of the season and not who we thought they were after a two-game win streak. Right, yeah. You know, thankfully, um, people want to say it's a break because it's Kansas, but it's absolutely not. Oklahoma State has gone into Lawrence the last three years and struggled mightily at times. Still found ways to win in 12, 14, and 16, but this is not going to be a walk in the park, despite what everyone thinks. 
Oh, uh, those well, those Lawrence games. No, 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 no. They were up 17-13 at halftime in 2016. Actually trailed a couple times in the first half. Then they blew them out in the second half, but it, it took a while. Uh, 2014, thank you, Tyreek Hill. Also, can we just say that as much as everyone wants to say Mason Rudolph saved the 2014 season by leading the comeback against OU, Tyreek Hill saved the 2014 season because without him, they would have likely lost to Kansas and OU. To let that sink in for a minute. That's a 4-8 and eight season, not a 6-6 six and six with a, seven, a bull win. Oof. And then 2012, I was at that game. It was awful. They had a 20 to nothing lead and almost blew it. I was at that game as well. That was painful for the last, the second half. Me and all, there was a rain delay, and when we came back, the already empty stadium was even more empty. Yeah. I think there was, I think there was legitimately more Oklahoma State fans and KU fans by the time the rain delay came back. Yeah. But we'll get to Kansas here in a little bit. Let's go to the news that dropped on Monday. And of course, uh, Matt Ryan and I recorded on Sunday and thinking, okay, you know, we'll have the press conference on Monday and, you know, no big deal. We'll get to it on some, on uh, Wednesday. And uh, Jalen McCluskey transferred. Uh, so that was some news that I really wish we could have gotten on the podcast. But even though it's a couple days uh, back, what, what's, what was your reaction and kind of what, what do you think this means moving forward? Well, I mean, I, I wrote my five thoughts. They're up on the, on the CowboysRideForFree.com now. My biggest thing is, it looks really shocking, and a lot of people are going to say that he quit on the team. And while technically he did by playing four games, deciding he wasn't getting enough catches, and then deciding to sit out the rest of the year and leave, the biggest takeaway for me is that this is the new norm for college football. Until the redshirt rule is changed in some way, and I don't think it will be, it gives players power. And when you give 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds power, this is what some of them are going to do with it. This is his decision. Um, I hope it works out for him. I really do. I don't think it's going to the way he wants it to. Um, But I hope it does. Uh, I hope it's a decision that he doesn't look back on and regret. I think think he really believes this is the right move. And if that's what he believes, then, then props to him. It's a it's a bold decision to make, and obviously not an easy one. So I'm not going to shame him for it. But this is the new normal. Look at look at Clemson. Kelly Bryant is leading Clemson because he's been moved to the backup for a freshman. I mean, Kelly Bryant led that team to the playoffs last year. Um, you get the same issue at Arkansas. You get the same issue at Auburn, Oregon, Tennessee. This is not just an Oklahoma State thing. This is this is the beginning of the new normal. I mean, think back to when grad transfers started. They were just a weird thing that some players did. Now grad, grad transfers are rampant. You get 100 kids every year that trans, graduate and transfer. How many, look how many grad transfers we've had at Oklahoma State. We've got a quarterback who's a grad transfer on the roster right now. So this is just going to become part of the college football landscape, and we're just going to have to get used to it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, my thing on it was, yeah, obviously I wish him the best because he is a very talented wide receiver. I know any school – that he wants to go to can happen. And he's going to be a great talent there and probably have an opportunity to play with some But I think, you know, he talked, you know, his reasoning was that he wasn't getting enough targets and he wasn't catching the ball well. He was getting nearly the same amount of catches a game. Maybe the targets weren't there, but he was still a valuable wide receiver. But I think a lot of it has to do, I think it's a perfect form of the emergence of Tylen Wallace as the number one guy. I, I, In my opinion, I think he's the number one guy. And then Dylan Stoner's reliability... They're starting to get Tyron Johnson in the offense a little bit more. And he just 
he was the th he became the third or fourth option. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And Oklahoma State, the third or fourth option, still has an opportunity to go to the NFL. If you look at Chris Lacey last year, who was the fourth or fifth best receiver we had, and he's now on the practice squad for the Lions and got drafted. So, you know, it's not like he wouldn't get notice here. It's not like he wouldn't have an opportunity. But he's making the decision that's best for himself. But I think it, it has more to do with the talent around him more than just the quarterback not getting him the ball, if that's the, the argument people want to make, which is, to me, patently false. So let me, let me clarify one thing. So through four games, um, McCleskey had the same number of targets as Dylan Stoner and Tyron Johnson. They all had 22. Um, Tylen has 46, yeah. I believe. Or 45. 45? Okay. He had more than twice as many as the rest of them, so that'd be, I think, 45. Um, the thing about that, though, is that 10 of McCleskey's targets came in the season opener. Yeah. So while others have risen, his have dropped off some. Now, part of that is the position that he plays, and it's not an area of the field that Cornelius is comfortable throwing to. Um, he's just he's not comfortable throwing over the middle. Uh, he likes to throw down the sidelines. He likes to throw the short intermediate, but he just doesn't throw over the middle, and that, that hurts uh, McCleskey's numbers. Moving forward, uh, I hope Dylan Stoner is healthy. You know, he missed. He was uh, injured in the Texas Tech game. I, I can't imagine he's 100%. I don't know. Uh, you're going to get to see Landon Wolf, which, you know, he, he, he was a, a guy talked about a lot before the season. He, he played pretty well in the season opener. It'll be nice to see him. And the other thing I think you're going to look for is, which they haven't been utilizing enough, is passing to the running backs out in space and out in the flats and getting the ball out to Chuba Hubbard. I think that's going to be your best weapon to fill the hole since your only other your other you know known inside receiver, um, Trayson, is injured. So you're out Trayson, now you're out McCleskey. That leaves Wolf and Stoner, who's probably banged up. Behind that, I don't know that there's really anybody unless you move somebody who's a true freshman and probably not ready to play in. This may be the opportunity for them to use Chub Chuba Hubbard a lot more and get him on the field more than they probably intended to originally. Yeah, I'd like to see them use him in, you know, not necessarily as a true receiver, but put him in that slot and, you know, put him in motion and just give him a little bit of a head start, give him a jet sweep down the sideline. He's, you know, good to go. I'd love to see them use him more. We haven't seen them use him very uniquely since the opener, really. They haven't been able to, they haven't tried getting him out in space other than just a, a draw play, hoping that he can make some miss, but with some of the offensive line struggles that we've seen in the last couple of weeks, he hasn't gotten any space to run. So I want to see, you know, the offense, you know, find some sort of creativity because that's what we're going to have to do. If you're going to be down an experienced receiver is find ways to be more creative and use those wrinkles that we've seen at times to try and get a spark. Cause I think that's just what they need. And I think there was such a rut offensively and that's really what happened in the, the tech game that maybe you'd have to do something kind of crazy just to get a spark and get some confidence. The other thing I hope to see is them utilize the Cowboy Pack more. Like, we thought they Please. would more this year, and they really haven't. Um, Finifuni, uh, I'm still going to get it right. Finifuniaki. Thank you. Uh, I'm glad no one, I don't have to say that every day. Uh, between him and uh, Jelani Woods, I'd like to see them used more in the offense beyond just blocking. Now, I know that's important right now with, with, the perceived offensive line issues. 
Oh, one thing about that. Shout out to Adam Lund. If you guys aren't listening to the tape, doesn't lie. You're missing out on, and I know we have a podcast, but probably the best Oklahoma State podcast. It's it's fantastic. I can't do what him and uh, and Michael Gift do. It is a fantastic show. But if you want to know the truth about the so-called awful, awful offensive line, go listen to their new episode uh, about the Texas Tech game. It's not as bad as Gundy keeps making it sound. It's really not. They're kind of being blamed for all the problems, and it, they're not great. But they're not the only problem. No, absolutely. And I wasn't trying to bash the offensive line and say that they've been they've been terrible. But we have seen there have been issues. But I don't think it's something that's not fixable. So we'll see how the next couple of weeks goes. But speaking of Gundy, uh, there was reports uh, earlier today that after practice, uh, Gundy went to the media and said if they asked about any player, you know, about any player about the McCluskey transfer or any other players possibly transferring um, that they would lose availability of talking to players the rest of the year. There's a lot of backlash from it, uh, especially from media members in Oklahoma and even, you know, uh, national pundits that have, uh, that have, you know, sounded off on it a little bit. What do you think felt about this? Cause I kind of see both sides. I kind of, I see where Gundy's coming from about not wanting his players to say the wrong thing and have them write a story, but also, Maybe this wasn't handled the right way. Oh, it was not handled the or could, right way. Or it could have handled, been handled better, I mean. Oh, absolutely. So just to clarify, I mean, Gundy sent Gavin Lang to go talk to them. Um, oh, okay, that's fair. Yeah, I, I misspoke there. No, no, you're fine. I mean, it was he's speaking for Gundy. So, I mean, it's Gundy's right. words. But look, I understand there have been plenty of rumors that there's some stuff going on in the locker room and everyone's not happy. Um, it's part of why McCleskey is, is leaving. Um something's rotten in Denmark, but, and I understand he wants to protect the locker room and protect the players. And from that standpoint, the idea that the media is going to really push that subject because that's what they, that's the question they want answered. So from that standpoint, I understand Gundy's belief in, in kind of reining everything in circling the wagons and, and protecting his players and his program, threatening the media to get that done was the absolute wrong way to do that, which is really surprising. As as well as he handled the McCleskey announcement, he handled this in the exact opposite negative way. I, there's, I know that you're going to read a lot about, oh, he should have just coached the players on no comment, no comment, uh, don't say anything, only talk about players on the staff. And yeah, he should have done that and he could have done that. Um, honestly, I would have just canceled player availability for the day and said... Sorry, we're not doing it. We've got to deal with some. We got to do team meetings. Things aren't good right now. We're just we're just not going to play our availability. And that would have been it. They people would have written about it. Oh, something's wrong. But that would have been it. But threatening the media is the wrong way to do it. It's absolutely not okay. Is yeah, everybody I... a little bit butthurt about it? Yeah. Um, but that was not the way to go about it. You don't don't threaten the media. It's, I am, I am, I used to work in TV news. I am one of those people who will stand up for any local TV, any local media, any of that period. I hate the term fake news. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It's insulting. It is brainwashing people into believe the media is just lying to you, which is hot friggin' garbage. Leave them alone. They're doing a job. They're doing it for you. Stop considering national media and the people running your paper in town on the same level. It's not the same. 
stop. Ugh. Anyways, but lying, threatening them to not be able to talk to players for the rest of the year is ridiculous, utterly ridiculous, and the wrong move. All right, rant over. And jumping down off the Philip Slavin, jumping down off the soapbox. Okay. Um, no, I. I, like I said, I understand where Gundy's coming from, not wanting his players to say the wrong thing or have a quote taken out of context, you know, anything like that. But to, yeah, to threaten the media is not the way to do it because then he just opened up, you know, new doors for the media to try to say the lo- the locker room's divided, the locker room's broken, he's lost control, anything that they want to, you know, he, he opened himself up to more ammunition than he intended and this definitely backfired. I wish he would have handled it differently, but at the end of the day, he's still trying to defend his players to the end and I still respect that. I will, I will make one note, and this kind of goes back to, and I think this has been brewing. This goes back to I am 40 rant. I, I'm a man, I'm 40. Um, you know, at that point, he was protecting his player. He went after, uh, I think it was Jenny Carlson who wrote the article at the time. He's very aggressive about it. It was a mistake, and it didn't play well in the media, but in the long term, it worked out for him. Uh, in 2014, he was pretty offish with the media while things were going bad. Um, the locker room wasn't great. They were losing a lot of games, and he was standoffish. After the Texas Tech game, and then again on Monday, he was a little overly protect, uh, a little overly protective of Taylor Cornelius, and it felt like a much more subdued, "Come at me, I'm a man, I'm 40." He learned from that. But it still felt very much like, stop trying to go after my quarterback. It's the offensive line. We couldn't run the ball. Leave Taylor Cornelius alone. He wasn't. That is the vibe I was getting for him. And then to see what happened today felt like a buildup that we should have seen coming, but didn't. Um, I do think things are wrong in the locker room. I don't think everything is good right now at the program. And I think his belief for fixing that is to direct the attention at himself and away from the team. And that is what he did by doing this. It was still the wrong decision entirely, but I do believe that is what Gundy thinks he's doing, is pulling the attention off of the team and off of the players and off of what's going on and onto him. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out you know, in the coming weeks, especially if, we, if Oklahoma State starts winning games again uh, and see kind of how things change, what people think the locker room is like and how you know, the media, you know, is starting to handle things, especially if quarterbacks change or whatever, whatever the case may be, you know, this is something we're going to have to see play out over the next few weeks. Um, but after all that, do you have any final thoughts on the, uh, the cluster that was uh, the last few days of Oklahoma State football? Yeah. Winning solves everything. They win the next three and everyone will be fine again. We'll go to exactly the bye week six and one and happy. I'm glad you said it. Cause I was going to say winning cures all, but uh, I wasn't sure if that's uh you know, it's not always the case, but it definitely helps. Oh, uh, it's always well. Um, it's generally the case, right? And thankfully, Oklahoma State has a pretty good opportunity to win this weekend uh, in Lawrence uh, against the KU team that won back-to-back games, and everyone thought maybe they were the you know they were starting to turn it around. David Beatty maybe was going to be able to you know keep things rolling there, and uh, they went and got stomped by Baylor and did not look good outside of Puka Williams on offense. Their defense has some solid players, but just not enough pieces to be cohesive. Um, I, my, my opinion on this really is put to be very simple. If you Oklahoma state can hold Puka Williams under 125, 130 yards, I think they win this game pretty easily. 
Yeah, so the stat that I find most interesting is that um, Kansas is averaging, all quarterbacks combined, is averaging 158 passing yards a game through four games. It's not very good. Not, uh, not good. Not good at all. Meanwhile, Puka Williams is averaging about 130 a game by himself. Yeah. So <laughs> your point of stop Puka is accurate. The other thing that's interesting to note, and there's two reasons I think that Kansas thumped Rutgers and thumped Central Michigan. For one, Rutgers and Central Michigan are hot garbage. Central Michigan's starting quarterback is last year's leading receiver. So they're a good spot. <laughs> yeah, real, real good spot. This is not the Central Michigan team that came into Stillwater and beat OSU. This is a bad Central Michigan team. It could be worse. If everyone thinks our uh, quarterback situation is bad, we could have our leading receiver be our quarterback. So it could this always be worse. This is true. Reason number two, Kansas won. The one stat that's really in their favor right now is turnover margin. They forced the second most turnovers in the country with 13. They forced six turnovers against Central Michigan. They forced they forced six turnovers by Rutgers. When two bad teams meet and one team turns the ball over six times, the other bad team is going to win. That's why Kansas won both those games. When they played Baylor and couldn't force a bunch of turnovers, they were done. And I think that's kind of the situation here with OSU. OSU has more talent. Uh, they're not going to turn the ball over a lot. Kansas has Puka Williams, and that's about it. Now, they have a couple of good receivers. Uh, Kerr Johnson Jr. and Steven Sims Jr. are both solid players. They'd be good receivers on any Big 12 team. It's unfortunate they had to play for Kansas, so they don't have a quarterback who can get them the ball very often. But they are some talented receivers. But they don't have a quarterback who can get anybody the ball. So, I... I'm torn because I made my prediction for roundtable, which has already been, you know, prepped. Uh, and it's probably closer than I actually think the game will turn out. Because uh, I think OSU is going to play well and going to put up a bunch of points on Saturday. Yeah, I think my score prediction, if I remember it correctly, I believe I had it at 35-17 Oklahoma State. Um, and I don't think it's going to be... I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but I don't think it'll be a super convincing win either, but I think it'll be enough that the team people will regain a little bit of confidence in the team. The team will gain a little bit of confidence going into the next week uh, against Iowa State, and I think that it'll right the ship a little bit. I don't think we're quite there yet, but I think it will definitely put things in the right direction. Yeah, I had 34-17, uh, and I'm going to... I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have a different answer on the pod, so everyone just bear with it. I'm telling you, I'm having a different answer than it's in the roundtable, uh, since I wrote the roundtable prediction when I was still angry and hadn't done enough research. I think it's closer to 41-13 than it is 34-17. Well, we can hope that we're both correct here, because um, as long as they weeks, win, we're good. That's exactly. all that matters. Exactly, and. Uh, my roommates will be at the game, and uh, I will be back home watching it on TV, probably pacing around my living room, and my fiance thinks I'm losing my mind. So, uh, you know, that'll be a good time. Yeah, my wife thinks the same thing. I think they just don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I I was standing there with my uh, with my dad watching the game with my fiance against Texas Tech, and my dad and I were standing next to each other, and uh, we're about the same height, and we were standing there, arms folded, standing like 
the exact same. And she goes, you guys are the same person. Like, well, you'd be right. I was drunk in a pool in Phoenix screaming at a television. Uh, yeah, when Matt Amendola missed the field goal in the third quarter, I didn't say anything. I just walked down from the uh, from the stands and said, I'll be back, and uh, went and got another beer because I figured, well, this is how this game is going to be. Oh, I, I I bailed on the fourth quarter. I know it sounds like oh, I did, a I did, thing I to admit. I bailed on the fourth quarter. I didn't I hate, I hate see any need. Uh, well, I wasn't there, and I, I, my, my beer got empty, so I went to get another one, and then I just didn't leave the house because there were other people in there as well. So. I know that makes me a terrible OSU fan to not want to watch the rest of a game that was obviously awful and they weren't going to come back from, but that's what I did. Yeah, exactly. Um, stay a little bit lighthearted here. What do you think the uniform is going to be this week? Do they uh, think they're completely throw another curveball at us like they did this past week? See, it'll be a white jersey since they're on the road. Let's go. Let's go white, white, orange. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to say... Uh, I don't know. Yeah, just go white, white, orange. I have no idea which helmet they're going to do, and, I, and it's it's too hard to guess. Right. Now, I'm going to go black, white, orange with the brand on the oh, helmet. That's nice. That's nice. Yeah, I, I like... I'm not a, normally a huge fan of the tricolor, but I like the black, white, orange combo. I think it looks pretty solid. And for an 11 o'clock road game, why not? It's just, oh, yeah, it's 11 a.m., so Gundy will have him up and ready to go because he hates playing at night. All right, I'll go with Icy White Pete, White Orange. Ooh, okay, okay. That's I do the, like that. That's what I, I'll I'm go not with. a huge fan of the Giant Pete, but that's mainly on the orange helmet, so I, I like the I like the white uh, chrome Pete. Yeah, I'm good with that. That'll be my prediction. All right, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Oh, <laughs> uh, no. I, my, my final thought is, if anybody is listening that has any say in the offensive game plan, please give Justice more than 20 carries. Please. Just give him the ball. Just give him the ball. I, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm thinking off air here because I don't want to <laughs> go, go all tinfoil hat on the, uh, on the podcast here. But if it happens again, I just might have to. Ooh, that might boost ratings, though. <laughs> it could. you got to have some clickbait, right? All right, well, I think that wraps up this episode. We we rambled a little bit toward the end, but uh, I think it was a pretty good conversation. Toward, Philip, toward the end? I think I rambled the whole thing. Uh, I mean, we both did, but then again, it was such a bad week. I think we all had to. Oh, yeah. All right, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, you can follow me personally at OKTXARPOKE, Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, all the places that I've lived. Uh, you can also follow my show, the 1012 podcast that is all about all 10 teams in the big 12 conference. You can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at 1012 podcast. It's at the number 10, the number 12, the word podcast. All right. Also, I'll be looking forward to listening to that tomorrow on my way to class. Uh, you can follow me at JT Penfield and be sure to follow the main site at Cowboys RFF. And we will be back on Monday to recap, hopefully a win against Kansas. Uh, go pokes. And we will see everyone then. 